0: Welcome to Atari Bites, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, and occasionally a 7800 game, and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 90. Thanks for listening. Ah, 90. As in 1990, which was a great year. You know why? Because the best people in the world graduated high school in 1990. I'm just saying. Hope everything's going great with you guys. We are solidly into October now. The fall weather is creeping in. I'm starting to think about, you know, fires in the fireplace and uh, actually eating soup. Uh, my wife would eat soup year, all year, year round. I hold to the idea that soup is a cold weather proposition. But it's starting to get to uh, be a little broccoli cheddar soup kind of weather, I'm thinking. Maybe a nice hearty stew. Um, man, I'm hungry now. Anyway, I'll try to power through the episode, uh, and then I'll go find me some soup. So, what's new in the world, guys? Not a whole lot of news this week, at least not that I took note of. Uh, well, there was a lot of news in the last week, but all of it is depressing, uh, so I'm not going to dwell on that. Uh, within the gaming world, there wasn't a whole lot of news that I really took note of. However, our buddy Ferg over at the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast did devote a special episode recently to the 40th anniversary of the Atari VCS. So, thanks for doing that, Ferd. Um, Happy anniversary, Atari VCS. We wouldn't be here today without you. So, you don't look a day over 39. Unless you're my Atari VCS, in which you look cold and dead. But I won't dwell on that, because that is also depressing. Moving on, got a little feedback from Sean at Pie Factory. Hi, Sean. To my Keystone Capers episode. I was commenting on how the development team for Keystone Capers Capers was called the uh, Blue Sky Rangers, and I guess I was sort of gently making fun of that. He offered some clarification. He says that the Blue Sky Rangers was a name bestowed upon the Intellivision development team by Howard Polskin, author of an article in TV Guide, about the Intellivision development team. They would have what they call Blue Sky Meetings. So the author decided to refer to them as the Blue Sky Rangers to put more pizzazz into the story. Mainstream media, uh, and then he provide a link to an article, to the very article that he refers to. This is an article from TV Guide, June 19th, 1982. Behind the Scenes with the Blue Sky Rangers Who Dream Up Mattel's Video Games. The opening paragraph is I'm surrounded by the Blue Sky Rangers, nine guys who talk as though they could do their math homework without handheld calculators. Later in the article, he turns blue sky into a verb. The brainstorming session uh, where they dream up new programs for the voracious video game market is called Blue Skying. The programmers who probe the outer boundaries of their imagination for ideas, ideas are called the Blue Sky Rangers. It's one of the first most important steps in game development can take 20 months to develop a $30 plastic cartridge that can be plugged into the Intellivision. I have an Intellivision. I'm looking at it right now. Actually, technically what I have is the Sears Telegames console, which of course plays in television games. My dad, for most of my growing up life, was a Sears store manager. So pretty much as a kid, if Sears sold it, that's where we got it regardless of whether you could get it somewhere else. So, initially I had the, uh, the, uh, Sears version of the uh, Atari. I had the, uh, telegames. Looking my Atari, my dead, lifeless Atari is sitting right now in a telegame center, the big plaster box that you could store it in. So, yeah, so, so I was a Sears product kid. Uh, anyway, what was I talking about? In this article, uh, there are nine programs at this, programmers at this meeting that the, uh, Authors sitting in on. They're part of a specialized 22-person team, which include 18 men and four women. I gotta be honest. For the early 80s, I'm even surprised that they had as many as four women in the group. They're video programmers. Mattel fears that rival, because Mattel fears that rival firms would lure their people away if their identities were revealed. I've changed their names. They're paid to think between 20 and 40 thousand a year. Uh, They're haphazardly dressed. Their eyes seem sunken and hollow from countless hours spent toiling indoors in front of computer terminals. Dude, this guy's kind of snotty for somebody who writes for TV Guide, a whole publication dedicated to sitting in front of a screen watching stuff. So, you know, settle down, Mr. Polskin. You're not exactly, uh, you know, writing for National Geographic or something like that. I will try to remember to put a link to this in the show notes, um, because this is an interesting article. It gives you a little uh, peek into uh, the evolution of gaming and game development. It sort of gives you some insight into what the outside perspective on it was in 1982, compared to what it is now. As I was getting ready to record today's episode, uh, some chatter on Facebook caught my attention. Jim from Pie Factory, hi Jim, was commenting on how he had converted Pole Position 2 cart, which, spoiler, is the game we're playing today. Uh, He had taken that cart and adapted it to accommodate the uh, Mateo's uh, 7800 flash cart. I asked a couple of, uh, you know, dorky questions about whether there was something unique about the plastic case itself for the uh, Pole Position 2 that that made it um, uh, useful for this particular project. Turns out there's not, really. Uh, just happened to be one that he had available. Pole Position 2, as we'll talked about, was a pretty common game, so there's probably lots of them around. But this little conversation did inspire Sean, our other buddy from Pie Factory, who's common comment I just read to you about Keystone Capers. He did offer a bit of trivia about the 7800. He offers two bits of 7800 cartridge lore. One, the Pole Position 2 was common because it was the pack-in game. We'll talk about that. Uh, and two, Ball Blazer cards are becoming a hot commodity because the poke chip inside is often harvested for repairing Atari arcade games and 5,200 8-bit computers and for producing homebrews that use pokey sound. So, if you see a spare ballblazer in the wild for cheap, it's pretty common, and think you might want to get, say, Super Circus Atari Age or Bentley Bear's Crystal Quest someday, grab it. Oh, Bentley Bear. You're probably hanging out with Amidar somewhere in my nightmares. So, I don't know that I'll be getting Bentley Bear's Crystal Quest at any point, but, you know, I appreciate the suggestion. Ballblazer is a name that I hear a lot. Uh, I've never played it, uh, and I guess I hear a lot because it is pretty common. I hope to get it su- at some point just, uh, you know, in the interest of being a completist. So I am kind of on the lookout for Ballblazer, I guess. Uh, we'll see what happens. Thanks for the, uh, the information. It just kind of highlights the fact that I am pretty limited in the technical side of my gaming knowledge. So I appreciate it when you guys can kind of fill me in on some of those parts while I'm off sort of, you know, messing around with the story part of the games. I appreciate how you guys can sort of fill me in on the technical part. It makes me more, more well-rounded human being. That might be a stretch. All right, moving on. Let's talk about this week's game. This week's game is, get ready, you're going to be shocked. And that sound, of course, means that we are once again leaping into the future so many light years away from the Atari 2600 to once again play an Atari 7800 game. And this time it is one of the flagship games for the 7800. Pole Position 2. Oh, yeah. Pole Position 2. High performance racing at its best. At least that's what the manual tells us. Are you good enough to race with the best? Do you have the nerve and skill to be a professional race car driver? Pit yourself against the clock and the competition? The world's top high-performance Formula One racers? And let's find out. I think what they meant to say was simply, let's find out. Sorry, I'm correcting their sentence structure. Choose among four race courses. There's the easy test course. On the Fuji track, you'll encounter some obstacles, billboards, puddles, and other cars. The seaside track is the intermediate course set in a landscape by the sea, and the Suzuka is the most difficult of the tracks, set in the midst of a traveling carnival. In the midst of a traveling carnival might be a bit of a stretch. There is a carnival in the distance that you sort of driving towards. Uh, that's probably more accurate. Drivers, start your engines. Insert the pole position two into the 7800, turn it on. The four tracks are listed on screen, one in each corner. Move the joystick in the direction of the track that you want, or press the select key. The name of the track you choose will blink. The first lap in a race has a maximum time limit of 78, sorry, 75 seconds. Each race has a total of 5 laps you must complete. You begin a new lap with an additional 60 seconds to complete it, only if you finish the previous lap in the allotted time. When you're ready to qualify for a race, press either fire button. Once you've qualified, the race you've selected begins in a matter of seconds. If you're in the middle of a race and want to start over, press reset. Pressing select will return you to the screen where you can choose the race you want. Press pause to pause during a game, press it again to resume play. After a pause of 15 to 30 minutes, the screen will go blank. Simply move your joystick and the game will reappear. Steer your racer by moving your joystick to the left or right, press the left fire button on your controller to accelerate, press the right fire button to brake, Uh, start out in low gear by pushing back on your joystick to shift in high gear, push your joystick forward. Before you complete any of the races, you must qualify for one of the eight starting positions. You have 120 driving seconds in the qualifying run, but must achieve a lap time of 73 seconds or better to qualify for a race. When you qualify for the pole position, you're given the prime starting position in the inside lane. This is the pole position. That's kind of an awkward sentence too. Anyway, if you don't qualify, you'll be allowed to continue driving for the remainder of the 120 seconds. I guess because they feel bad for you. Go for it. If you hit another car, you and the obstacle you're, you've hit will explode, costing you precious time. You'll also wipe out if you rush in, uh, run into a road sign. Hitting a puddle will slow you down considerably. No matter how many times you crash, you'll receive another car until your time runs out, because society just doesn't learn. Try to keep your car on the road. You lose time when you drive off the track. Skidding also causes your car to slow down. Gun it on the straightaways. If you find yourself going too fast, downshift for the difficult turns. Here's a little insight into how I play. I put it into high gear immediately when the race starts, and I stay there. I'm probably not going to set any records for pole position 2, but you know what? I feel the need for speed. Scoring. Every lap traveled is worth 10,000 points. Each car you pass is worth 50 points. When you finish the race, each second of time left on the time clock is worth 200 points. Bonus points. Uh, There's a little chart that tells you all the different bonus points you can get. Basically, obviously, it depends on where you start. Uh, what your starting position is, and your time, and so forth. The bonus points range from 200 to 4,000 bonus points. Basically, if you've played Pole Position, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you have, you know how to play Pole Position 2. At this point, I pretend to know what I'm talking about while actually reading you things from sites like Wikipedia and tell you that Pole Position 2, duh, is the sequel to Pole Position 1. It was released by Namco in 1983 and licensed to Atari for U.S. manufacture and distribution. It was used as the pack-in game for the Atari 7800 Pro system console. Pole Position arcade machines can be converted to Pole Position 2 by swapping several chips. Uh, The game plays the same way, which we've already talked about, uh, although you get more tracks, obviously. Although, honestly, I didn't notice a whole lot of difference in the tracks. They don't feel all that different. The setting that you're driving in, I guess, looks a little different each time. But it didn't necessarily feel like all that different of an experience for me. Wikipedia tells us that the test track resembles the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The seaside resembles the 1982 United States Grand Prix West circuit in Long Beach. And Suzuka, which I guess doesn't resemble anything. Uh, There are some minor differences from the original pole position. The cars have a different color scheme. The explosions now show debris. There are new billboards and a new opening theme song, which I didn't notice. The timer is displayed as time in the Japanese version, as it was in the original game, and displayed as unit in the American release. Because that's dumb. Why wouldn't you just say time? I don't know. Pole Position 2 has been re-released as part of various Namco Museum compilations, but the two active permanent circuits were removed because of licensing issues with both Fuji and Suzuka, In similar looking circuits. Namco Circuit and Wonder Circuit after Namco's Wonder Series of Japanese theme parks, respectively. In Namco Museum Virtual Arcade, they are renamed to Blue and Orange, respectively, even though neither track features the colors. Alright, the layouts were similar. The video VideoGameCritic.com review of Pole Position 2 opens with, Man, talk about lame. As the official patching game for the 7800 system, this is not the least bit impressive. I suppose the race cars look okay with their rounded, shiny exteriors, but Pole Position 2's gameplay is no different from the original. What's the 2 supposed to be about? Heck, this isn't even as good as the original Pole Position, because you don't have that lady's voice announcing the start of each race. Before each contest, you're forced to complete one of the obligatory qualifying laps, and that sucks big time. The races themselves are fair, but the animation is pretty choppy. The handling is not what I'd call precise. Even the sound's messed up with the engine sounds cutting out uh, whenever you roll over the shoulder. The scenery is minimal, except for those annoying Atari signs that appear every 50 feet or so. Although the instructions recommend using the standard two-button 7800 controller to allow for accelerating and braking, you'll want to ditch that thing like a bad habit and use your favorite 2600 joystick instead. Who needs a brake in a racing game for Pete's sake? Isn't the idea to go fast? Duh. For a game this basic, Atari screwed it up only as they could have. The company's incompetence always amazed me. Was this expected to compete with the NES and Super Mario Brothers? Give me a... expletive. Break. That was a 2005 review from the video game critic. I hope to God he uh, has gotten over it by now, because otherwise I worry for his uh, yeah, blood pressure. The AtariTimes.com Ethan Nobles wrote in 2003 that the game is common as Sin, being a patent uh, game for the 1700. Let's check the facts. Take a look at the state of the video game industry in 1986 when the 7800 was released. Uh, The NES uh, came out and impressed people with its pack entitled Super Mario Brothers, uh, which was an innovative uh, game for its day, uh, and contained secret, multiple levels, and plenty of things for the player to see and do. So here comes Atari with the 7800. Did they choose to include an innovative title with the system? Nope. Instead, folks who brought home a 7800 got to play Pole Position 2 right out of the box. Does that mean this is a bad game? No. In fact, I rather enjoy it. However, the title was old news when it was released. Pole Position 2 was a hit in the arcades in 83, of course, and the title doesn't exactly push the 7800 to its limits. Then he goes on and repeats how he does actually like the game, but as has a solid version of the arcade hit, and he plays it quite a bit, but it still just was not a very inspiring choice for Atari's new uh, system. He concludes with, uh, All in all, Pole Position 2 is a solid title, so I really don't care if it passed its prime when it was included with the 7886. All right, so after the break, is Formula One racing the ultimate expression of early 20th century ingenuity or the life-size equivalent of your kids late on a Sunday night before the Monday it's due Boy Scout Pinewood Derby car? Discuss. start your engines. Please? Somebody? I really, really need a ride. I'll pay for gas. Hey, where are you going? Come back. I'm playing the seaside track. If I can get my car to go. There we go. Time off is uh, what appears to be the Golden Gate Bridge the, uh, off on the horizon there, lovely pristine blue waters. Whee! Can I tell you, the look itself, except for a little dressing up, looks an awful lot like pole position one to me. The car's a little fancier, I guess. The crashes, when they happen to lesser drivers than me, look more spectacular. Stuff. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, this is pretty much just pole position. Bit of a disappointment as sort of flagship game for the new uh, 7800. Boom! Qualifying position number seven? Did better than that. Off. Oh. Ah, I'm ahead of you. Oh, hey, I should have totally died in that crash. It was a glitch or something, but I hit that car dead on and there was no crash register. I'm immortal. Maybe the maybe a uh, time shifted. timeline, the target showed up, perhaps. Changed history, so I didn't actually crash. That's my theory, I'm going with it. Boom! Extended play! Oh! That had to hurt. I guess the sounds are kind of cool. Like I said, the crashes do look pretty spectacular. Wheels flying all over shooting up. so I should crash there, too. Maybe I should lift the bumpers. That am totally mucking with the timeline. I bet it created a world where, like, Trump is president. Passing bonus. Oh, yeah. Game over.
1: 28,800
0: points and a bunch of adoring race fans. I'm gonna go have me some milk. That's what they do at the end of the race, right? They drink milk? That's kind of lame. I'm gonna go have a beer, because I'm a real dude. Back to you in the studio.
1: It's time to get this race started. All right now, gentlemen. And you too, you dukes. Start your engine. Now, I'm gonna say, really, See it. a and Fancy and Nick and The general back there What? Oh no, they're to
0: So here's the thing about pole position two. I like the game well enough. I like pole position one well enough. There's nothing in two that would make me play that over one, frankly. Uh, but I do like them both. Actually, I'm thinking of something I do like better about two. And I may be wrong about this, although I th- don't think I am. I think that two offers you more competing cars and puts and groups them closer together. So it's a little bit harder to get around them than it was in pole position 1, so I will give them that. And the crashes look cooler. The game is set in the world of Formula 1 racing, also called Formula 1 or F1, and officially the FIA Formula 1 World Championship, which is the highest class of single-seat auto racing that is sanctioned by the Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile. The FIA Formula 1 World Championship has been the premier form of racing since the inaugural season in 1950. Although other Formula 1 races were regularly held until 83, the formula designated in the name refers to a set of rules to which all participants' cars must conform. The F1 season consists of a series of races known as Grand Prix, Grand's Prix from French meaning grand prizes, held worldwide on purpose-built F1 circuits and public roads. The cars are the fastest road course racing cars racing cars in the world. Due to high cornering speeds, they get up to 375 kilometers per hour, 233 miles per hour with engines currently limited in performance to a maximum of 15,000 RPM. They're very dependent on electronics. The cost of building mid-tier cars is around $120 million. But, but, Formula 1 is not the only game in town. You also have Formula 2, which is a type of open-wheel formula racing first codified in 1948. It was replaced in 1985 by Formula 3000, but revived by the FIA, from 2009 to 2012 in the form of the FIA Formula 2 Championship to uh, develop a low-cost series to allow young drivers a chance to compete in the highest tier of motorsport. A third attempt at establishing the series was announced in 2015. The name returned in 2017 when the former GP2 series became known as the FIA Formula 2 Championship. While Formula 1 has generally been regarded as the pinnacle of open-wheeled auto racing, the high-performance nature of the cars and the expense involved, and the series has always meant a need for a path to reach this peak. For much of the history of Formula 1, Formula 2 has represented the penultimate step on the motorsport ladder. Prior to the Second World War, there was a division of racing for cars smaller and less powerful than Grand Prix racers. Formula 2 was formally codified in 1948 by the FIA as a smaller and cheaper complement to the Grand Prix cars of the era. The rules limited engines to 2-liter naturally aspirated or 750cc supercharged Uh, engines, although those were very rarely used. The cars were smaller, lighter, and cheaper than Formula One. They developed a 2-liter engine in the 70s and early 80s, and it enjoyed a revival in the 21st century. The series was discontinued by the FIA and MSV after the 2012 season. The championship had struggled to attract enough drivers in the final year, with the single-team concept proving to be unpopular compared to championships run on more conventional basis. Despite being marketed as a feeder series for Formula 1, the competing GP2 and Formula Renault 3.5 series had significantly more powerful cars. And no Formula 2 driver had managed to progress to a Formula 1 team until Joyland Palmer in 2016. It has enjoyed another revival in 2017. If anyone knows anything about that revival, let me know. Because I know next to nothing about Formula 1 and Formula 2 racing, other than what I just told you. So, getting back to that little bit of audio that I played you, that was from the album The Dukes of Hazard*, which came out when I was a kid, and The Dukes of Hazard* was a huge thing on TV. I had that album, I will admit, and I played the hell out of it as a kid, and the whole album was songs, including one by Luke Duke himself, Tom Wopat, and they also got Daisy in there somewhere too. Catherine Bach sang a song on there, and other people singing songs, basically uh, on the theme of racing. Uh, Except for Sheriff Roscoe, Coltrane sings a song about his dog. But otherwise, the songs pretty much all relate to the General Lee, racing, that kind of thing. And then Boss Hogg, the actor Sorrel Brook, kind of narrates a little story weaving, woven in between the songs. Basically about trying to keep the Dukes from getting to the big Hazard County race. What does any of that have to do with Formula One racing and pole position? Nothing, other than it's a car race. Generally, of course, was not a Formula 1 or 2 car. It was uh, a Dodge Charger. But it's a race, and whenever I think about the start of the race in pole position 1 or 2, I think of the audio that I just played for you earlier, Boss Hogg, talking about, you know, start your engines! You too, you Dukes! So, that's how my brain works. Uh, and that's why I made you listen to that. So, apologies for that. So, you know, Formula 1 is great. The Dukes are great, I guess. I've gone back and watched Dukes of Hazard as an adult, uh, the show that I thought was so awesome as a kid, and it's a truly awful show. But anyway, that's all fine. But I I want to talk about the scrappy young upstart Formula Two because I don't think Formula Two gets enough love, and I think it's time to give Formula Two a big hug, a big uh, podcasty hug. So that's what we're gonna do because they 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 are out there, you know, trying their best. So here it is, the ballad of Formula 2. The speed in Formula 2 is pretty slow, pretty slow, pretty slow. The speed in Formula 2 is pretty slow, cause the two-layer engines are naturally aspirated. Formula 2 cars are smaller and weaker, smaller and weaker, smaller and weaker. The Formula 2 cars are smaller and weaker, because in sports you play second fiddle. Formula 2 is so much cheaper, so much cheaper, so much cheaper. Formula 2 cars are so much cheaper, so suck it, Formula 1. In the world of car racing, the Grand Prix is much cooler, so much cooler, so much cooler. In the world of car racing, the Grand Prix is much cooler, but F2 has concessions with nachos. Formula 2 doesn't use F1 hybrids, hybrid engines. Hybrid engines, Formula 2 doesn't use F1 hybrid engines Cause we're not pussies And Formula 1 engines blow up after 2 hours After 2 hours After 2 hours Formula 1 engines blow up after 2 hours Because F2 has more stamina The drivers in Formula 2 gr- try gosh darn hard Gosh darn hard Gosh darn hard The drivers in Formula 2 try gosh darn hard But mom still likes my brother better and that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bites on many podcatchers, you know that by now. Make sure among those podcast podcatchers wherever you happen to choose to listen to this show, still go to iTunes and get the inside track and and leave a review immersed in burnt rubber, because it helps other people find the show. And then, you should, once the engine noise dies down, while you're hanging out at the concession stand, getting your uh, your nachos, you can tell your friends to go listen to this show. You can also support the show financially, and I encourage you to do that if you can, by going to the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or picking up some cool Atari Bytes merchandise at zazzle.com. Links to all of that in the show notes. Our website is ataribytes.libson.com. There's show notes there. There's uh, links to our social media. All sorts of stuff. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And please do not forget to check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, is the name of that one. You can get a full serving of all your animated Peanuts gang needs. And it's not just the animated specials. We talked about the books, we talked about the characters, we talked about the comic strips, all sorts of Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Linus, Woodstock, Sally, Lucy, Peppermint Patty stuff. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Oh, and don't forget, Atari Bytes and its podcast, Charlie Brown, for that matter, are also on Instagram, so check those out too. Next time on Atari Bytes, Space Jockey. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,
1: oh, 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 oh,